You weren't there for the one where um, <clears throat> the clocks went out on Teddy Bridgewater. The uh, clock company had to issue an apology. They issued no. a statement. We all got handed a sheet. We're sitting in the press box in Soldier Field, and we get handed a sheet. And the sheet just, <laughs> it's just this little, little tiny paragraph on this giant white sheet, and it just basically says, we're sorry. We screwed up. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater threw a pick to lose a game at Soldier Field in 2014. I think it was his rookie year. Um, and he thought he had like the closing seconds. He thought he had like five seconds left and thought it was like to clock down. Well, no, he had like 40 seconds left, but the problem was the entire drive, he had no access to the clock because it went out in the stadium. Oh my God. So, so like, he wouldn't have like taken the shot. No, he would not. And he hucked this thing into the end zone. It was easily intercepted. And he thought afterward he, that was like the last chance he had. Um, so speaking of, yeah, uh, welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Before we started, you were talking about the weird, um, trips for Mike Zimmer's Vikings down to Chicago and how it was always just insane. But yeah, that was the one that came to my mind first and you weren't even there for that one. So are we on now? We are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of cold intros into the show. Okay. Yep. Got it. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Well, not just going down to Chicago, but also I think that if we were ranking the trips to Chicago, yep. then, or, or I'm sorry, the games against Chicago, just overall in the Mike Zimmer era, the person hanging from the truss, well, <laughs> oh, sure. well, yeah. Philly special yep. happened underneath this play that was stolen by the Philadelphia Eagles, the throw to Matt Barkley. I mean, if, if you're ranking them, that has to be at the top of the list for me. Uh, then the one where Jordan Howard just went, completely crazy i looked this up not too long ago that uh, in the entire zimmer era no one ran for more yards than jordan howard who was very briefly good for the bears but in no way like, didn't a he have like 200 yards that one game <laughs> yes he started out the game with a very nice 69 yard run in 2016 and then zimmer's eyeball popped out norv quit they collapsed from five and oh so um, welcome to the rivalry, Kevin O'Connell. This is where it gets weird. This is where you become the head coach of the Vikings. If everyone wants to know, will it be different? This is where we find out if it's different. Not only that, Mitch Trubisky throwing a pick in the end zone to give the Vikings another chance with their playoff hopes on the line, and then they don't do it. I mean, there has been a lot of these things. It's been a journey. It, this is. We're two non-parents sitting here, but I've heard relatives and friends who are parents say the thing of like, you're not a parent until blank happens or until this happens. That's kind of what you're talking about with Vikings head coach. You're not a Vikings head coach, so you play a weird game against the Bears. Right, till someone in a Brett Favre jersey is hanging from the top of the stadium. And then everyone says after the game, no, I didn't see it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, I heard about it after the game. Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> you weren't looking at your Microsoft Surface so much you didn't see someone hanging from the roof. Uh, but And I remember we, because um, I was working at 1500 before, and we left a man behind in the press box just in case something happened with the person because the police were arresting them and they were trying to get them down. But there was some serious concern for that person's well-being that they might... Because you don't know. I mean, somebody like lit themselves on fire at a tennis match. That lady glued herself to the court. I mean, you don't know what somebody's going to do in that situation. They're already nuts enough to be hanging up from up there. Um, you can't glue yourself to the turf, which is I don't think you can. Not very successfully, which is probably good news for the Minnesota Vikings. For those who don't know, that is Matthew Collar's voice of PurpleInsider.com. I am Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune. But we'll talk about the Vikings offense. Kirk Cousins saying today that we're still trying to figure it out, basically. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about Sunday, but we'll also get go through some quarter of the season um, superlatives, if, it, you know, if, if you will, uh, about this team and, and try to get uh, our thoughts just on where this team is at and where they're headed. But, Matt, let's talk about this offense. Um, how great can you be feeling about the 28th ranked, I think, red zone offense, according to Football Outsiders, in terms of points per red zone trip um, and kind of where they're at at 3-1? and one. I guess the, the, the bright side of it is that they are 3-1. and one. Well, that's certainly the bright side of it is when you hit a Kirk lull in the Kirk coaster and you win three of four games. I mean, you have really survived something there because we've seen the ups and downs of Kirk Cousins. It is a feature, not a bug of Kirk Cousins. It is it is the experience that everyone signed up for here in Minnesota when they signed him is that and that was always his career in Washington 
where it would be stretches of unbelievably good play and people talk about him as the MVP and then right around the corner was a downstretch. And I think a lot of times it just is dependent on the schedule, who you're playing, um, but also you know how comfortable he feels, who's healthy. Like a, a lot of situations always play into it and everyone has remained healthy on the offensive side, which is the biggest thing. Because if someone gets hurt and you're playing Jalen Rager, I think that it's going to be a lot of trouble. And even on the offensive line, like if anyone gets hurt on the offensive line, one of the tackles or even on the interior where we've seen, I think um, the guards still have some struggles, but if you have to go to backup guards or backup center where Garrett Bradbury has taken a lot of harpoons from all of us, but like has actually played pretty well this year so far. But if somebody goes down, like the circumstances change this, we saw last year when Adam Thielen went down and all of a sudden KJ Osborne has to be an outside receiver instead of a slot receiver. Um, So, you know, they've had like some things you would say, very favorable for them. I don't think outside of Philadelphia, any of the defenses they've played have been special. Um, Green Bay should in the long run have a good defense. They clearly were just not prepared for that game. And to have the results that they have on offense is a pretty big disappointment compared to the offseason conversations. Yeah, they score on all but three of their drives in New Orleans, but they still it just look like such a grind to do it. And it has looked like such a grind even against a Detroit defense that has been giving up yardage left and right to everybody. Right. And yeah, I mean, Geno Smith um, looks like the MVP right now. And yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that they did move the ball a lot against New Orleans, but they throw a pick. They fail in the red zone, as you mentioned, and it, they couldn't run the football very much. And they had to rely on really just a couple of big plays from Justin Jefferson. And there's a crazy stat that I fiddled around with and came up with the other day that I think is really telling of who they are as an offense. And I don't think this will change that when they throw to Justin Jefferson or hand him the ball, I included his handoff, uh, they average 9.9 yards per play when it involves Justin Jefferson. When it does not, 3.9 yards per play. And I know running plays are going to bring that down and sacks are going to bring that down and so forth, but that gap is enormous. So it's like if you can get the ball to Jefferson, your offense can have a chance, which even when it played poorly against New Orleans, it had a chance because of one man making two huge plays that set them up. But if the other team even slows him down for a half, you're essentially not scoring that half unless (laughs) the referees give you a 40 yard penalty or whatever, which was really helpful to the offense that was sputtering. But I guess that, you know, the question is like, is this just, coming along slow under a new offense or are there some fundamental issues and there's one play that makes me wonder about both of those things Um, because at the goal line when he checks down to Thielen and he gets tackled they have to kick a field goal they didn't have to but you could tell they weren't uh, in a trusting mood of the quarterback to get it in the end zone and Jefferson is open behind him the interesting thing about that route is that you would have to throw it with incredible anticipation to really see it or you would have to wait a little longer and fire it in there, which Cousins does not seem to be very confident firing it in anywhere. I mean, it's pretty much if someone's wide open or one-on-one streaking down the sideline as Jefferson was, Cousins is still delivering the ball accurately as he always has. But I don't know that he's either seeing things as far ahead as he needs to or is as confident in his arm strength as he's been before. And I don't want to go like all in on this Kirk's arm is toast or something, but it doesn't seem to have the same zip on it. And maybe that's confidence. I don't know if that's his actual strength or if that's his confidence, but that play in particular was like, if he, if he believed in that throw and stepped into it, you can make it pretty easily. But he said, well, I didn't see it until a little late. So it's kind of like this, as he loves to say, this combination of things that are making you wonder, we are a quarter of the way into the season and you're still either not seeing it or not trusting it. When does that happen? Well, I wonder too, what, what effect has pressure had on him in some of these moments too? Because there's the one where Jefferson comes open uh, in the end zone and he throws a little bit behind him, but it's also because he's got Marcus Davenport right in his face and he can't step in through the throw. And there's sometimes we've certainly seen now four years into Kirk in Minnesota, we've seen pressure get into his head 
where that can affect him. And he doesn't step through throws or doesn't time them properly uh, or the clock gets sped up too quickly and he skips over reads uh, and doesn't wait long enough sometimes. So it just throws him off. And and I saw, at least in that Saints game, there were moments where the pressure really got to him. And the numbers, well, I was surprised to look at, PFF only had him like 11 pressures on 41 dropbacks. But those 11 pressures really hit home. He got hit eight times. Basically, when he was pressured, it was in his face, and he was it was getting hit. So I think sometimes we saw Brian O'Neill, Christian Derrissaw get beat. That offensive line, which has looked really good in moments like Green Bay, has kind of been really sputtering or hit or miss, too, along those moments. And I think that affects Kirk more than it affects your average, you know, top half starter in the league yeah I think uh as usual the tackle play has been good and everything else has been questionable except for the center um but the both of the guards I mean Ed Ingram might eventually be a really good player but at this moment not so much and I think I'm getting ready to call it on Ezra Cleveland at the experiment of Cleveland at left guard you mentioned that play in the red zone like it's a pretty simple and and should I say this right like the guy would <laughs> the guy would pick me up and throw me out of the stadium if it happened to me but like it's a thing you see all the time in the red zone in a passing situation where they run a stunt or a twist or something and you pass the guy off and you get back into your spot and you try to make the block and he just completely missed it and that has kind of always happened to him since he's been a guard, and I'm guessing that opponents know. Um, so I don't think that that situation is getting way better, the guards. Like, offensive linemen playing as rookies always take a long time. Even Derisaw last year, like, he showed flashes, but his numbers still weren't great because being a rookie is very, very difficult uh, on the interior. And they face some really beastly interior uh, defensive linemen like New Orleans has. Um, the interception also was interesting to look at because – that was another one where, I, you know, sometimes with the film, you're like trying to get a microscope out or something like, can I see this or not with the all 22 film? But when he throws the interception, it was like he had locked on to the Jefferson route from the very beginning and he went to throw it. And then he was like, oh, wait, they are sending two guys at him. And then he kind of reset and threw. But by that time, Tyron Matthew had already seen it and was on his way over. And that's where I just wonder is. Is he not comfortable and not quite seeing things as fast as he should be? And that's why this is happening. And the the rest of it is, will that get fixed as he gets more comfortable? Or is that just going to keep happening because of what they're asking him to do? And so like in 2018, it's pretty easy to make that connection. It's like, it just kept happening. Um, and that's why they went to the bootleg stuff, which I noticed they're putting in a lot more of in the last couple of weeks, but that's why they went to it. And Mike Zimmer did say this once he was like, we need to take some of the, uh, onus off of Kirk with like making all the reads and everything else. We need to make these things simpler, which was Zimmer's classic way of being like, he can't handle it. But that's the question here is, is it that he really can't handle it? Or is it that once he gets it? halfway through the season or something that it's going to take off. And I don't really know the answer to that. Could there be something to O'Connell learning more about Kirk as they go and adjusting those kinds of things too, and maybe not having him have to think so much? Because there are moments too where they take delays of games and, and have taken delays of games like they did against the Saints where Cousins is just having to walk through things and adjust things at the line, and they're just moving slow. Like, within a minute to go, I haven't asked O'Connell this, but I'm curious to know if within that minute to go mark against the Saints before halftime where um, – you know, they they move they march into Saints territory and then they let forty seconds just burn off the clock. I imagine that maybe O'Connell wanted him to slow roll it a little bit, knowing they had three timeouts, but Kirk drained the entire play clock. And I can't imagine that was the intention going into that one. And it's because he seems to be kind of I don't want to say swimming through it, but some of it seems to be just taking a while for him to kind of grasp and, and talk the offense through. And so far, they've been good for at least several throws a game that go to absolutely nobody. Yeah, Rager last week, Jefferson also he was off uh, the wrong page on in terms of some of those option things. And they've got, we've talked about this before, they've got things in this offense where the re receivers um, can can break off routes and change them when while reading the coverage like in real time and Patrick Peterson said before the season like that means Kirk and Jefferson got to be on it all the time and we're seeing how sometimes that's not the case well and I you know I've thought about this really since Cousins has been here but now it really stands out with him being the age that he is is that he has to throw with a lot of anticipation and a good example is that go route to Justin Jefferson 
Now, what a what a skill to have to be able to throw the ball when the guy is run less than 10 yards and he catches it 30 yards down the field. I mean, that's like shooting a half court shot and making it or <laughs> sure. something. Right. Yeah, and yeah. And, the, and cousins is marvelous at that. Like when he's throwing downfield and he's got to lead a guy way out in front. He is so good at that. And he's had great success with it. But when it comes to like these these sharp routes with tight windows and things like that, where you really have to kind of wait till the last minute to know what's happening. I don't know that that fits him very well. I know who it does fit. He's a big giant guy in Los Angeles in Matt Stafford. Not so not so much this year, uh, but their flag will fly forever with the Super Bowl. So you know they don't care. But Matt Stafford has one of the strongest arms I think ever in NFL history, and he can wait until the last second to just gun it. He also throws sidearm. He throws when he's hit. Dudes can bounce off him sometimes. Like all these things are very different for Cousins. And I think Kirk really knows who Kirk is and how Kirk has to play, right? Like he understands that he's not that guy. And I think that when we talk about the checkdowns and things, a lot of times when I look back at it on film, I think if he doesn't throw it at this exact moment and really get all of his heart and soul into this throw, it's probably going to get picked or get knocked down. And I think he knows that about some throws too, because when I was watching the lions game, there was one in particular, there was a post route from Jefferson into a too deep look where he was coming into the middle of the two safeties. And if you let that thing rip, I mean, that's probably a 25 yard gain. But it was like you really got to believe in it and you really got to let loose with that football. And it, and for Kirk, it was like, I'm, I'm just not going to. I'm going to take the safe route. And that's why his average depth of target is like third lowest in the league right now. If O'Connell can adjust that a little and we already see him going back to the things that work for Cousins like the bootlegs and play actions and stuff. I, I just think it's a little bit of a sign of O'Connell's awareness of like, okay, I, I get it. There's some things we just can't do. But at other times, I think you hear it in his voice. He's like, you should be able to do that. Like, yeah, you, you yeah, should be able yeah. to hit that. Yeah, in, in the way that these coaches, whether it's O'Connell or Wes Phillips, the way they talk about Matthew Stafford is just in a totally different world uh, than, than Kirk Cousins. And they won't say a negative thing about either of them, but you can just tell that they view them as obviously different quarterbacks than they are in terms of what they're capable of. I thought when you mentioned the depth of target, that makes me think of how they started that game out against the Saints, that you know theoretically scripted portion of, of the game where it was just this dink and dunk, short, horizontal stuff, some play action stuff. And they've started a lot of games that way now where whether it was against the Lions, it was run, run, play action, boot to Ben Ellison. Um, and then this game, they even had Justin motion into the backfield, run a little option route with him. They had Dalvin cook, um, kind of running a crosser on third down, just easy little completions. Like they've just done that with Kirk to try to get him into a rhythm where O'Connell seems pretty aware of like, this is how we got to start these games out. We can't just open ripping it because Kirk's not necessarily that guy. And I think that O'Connell and, and even though the numbers on offense are not very impressive at the moment, although if you get to the red zone this many times all the time, you probably will score more than they did against New yeah. Orleans. Um, at least you should. I mean, it's it's possible to have a, a horrendous red zone offense for a long time, but this this team really hasn't over the years uh, with Cousins. Usually he's been pretty good down in the red zone. Um, but I, I think it's an early sign that, O'Connell does know what he's doing. That's how I'm interpreting a lot of this stuff. Receivers are running open and you see them on tape. And he's also trying to adjust things as much as he feels comfortable doing to what his quarterback has been historically good at under center and everything else. And we didn't see a lot of under center in training camp. And that's like an on the fly thing that they've gone with. And, and to me, that is like the sign of not being arrogant is to say, all right, we have to throw this bootleg pass to Ben Ellison yeah, yep, because yep. that's what's going to work for Kirk in this moment. And we have to do that. And even I think that O'Connell would love to pass the ball 70% of the time, but over these last couple of weeks, it's been like, no, we do have to actually stick with the run. We do have to make their defense care about the run to set up some of these things that work for the quarterback. And I think when, Offensive-minded head coaches fail a lot, and this might be like Josh McDaniels' his first time, and maybe it'll be his second time as well. Like There was a quote from Josh McDaniels, or I saw someone say, say that McDaniels said this, okay, so a former player. 
that he could make any quarterback into an all pro. And it's like, if you think that, then you are probably just arrogant and you think that you're going to have your system be so brilliant. And I think this was DiFilippo. My system is so brilliant that it works and it's your fault if you're not doing it right. That was Matt Nagy, I think, too. And I think it's the opposite of that in a good way, in a humility way to say, okay, no, actually, we do have to make these adjustments. And so I think that the long term of Kevin O'Connell about this, and I, and I saw that Suhan wrote, like, where's the wizardry? The wizardry might be very subtle here. The wizardry might be as simple as you're adapting everything you do to a quarterback that you're adopting coming here. And, and, and I, want, I want to, at this moment, see that as being a very good sign about Kevin O'Connell. I think that's a good point because we have seen them, and they O'Connell did this when he arrived, though, too. He looked at the roster, saw C.J. Ham, saw some pieces, and said, this can't be a carbon copy of Los Angeles. We do need to adjust in some ways. I do wonder, though, with the red zone issues, if I think they've got a pretty high pass rate in the red zone, much higher than they certainly did under the Kubiaks and Mike Zimmer, and they used to love to just run it in the red zone. That was one of the things, right? And Justin Jefferson even talked about that um, when I sat down with him about his low – relatively low touchdown rate, you know, compared to like your Devonte Adams and him saying that we just don't throw in the red zone, you know, the last two years. And then he said, this is going to change this year. Well, how much of the red zone issues are you are putting a lot on Kirk's plate when, when you're not handing it off to Justin Jefferson or doing a quick jet motion kind of trick play thing, you're asking Kirk to fire it into a tight window that he's not comfortable or fire a fade over that he's not, you know, a high percentage on. Um, I do wonder if they're going to have to adjust, if that's one of the future adjustments with O'Connell is, as you talk about him kind of being humble and changing things is maybe you might need to call a little, <laughs> a little more to Dalvin cook on the edge, which has worked so well for them in the past in some of those red zone moments. Well, and it, it certainly is a question too, about how much you can lean into Dalvin cook, because would any of us argue with the idea of running Dalvin cook in the red zone in 2019? I know. No, because yeah. he was a monster. He was unstoppable. And they scored a lot. Um, so it doesn't really matter who gets the touchdowns, right? It, it just matters that they get in. But when you look at what Delvin Cook has now versus what he had in 2019, we are a, a long way and quite a few injuries separated from the best moments of Delvin Cook. He has not been like trash by any means. He's got quite a few runs that go between like 8 and 12 yards where he's getting to the edge and teams are clearly playing the pass and clearly worrying about Justin Jefferson. But... I think in New Orleans, you know, they tried a lot, 20 carries for him. And there's just not that same ability. There were times where it wasn't like Barry Sanders exactly, but where you'd be watching, it would kind of break your brain because you'd be like, oh, tackle. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you know, and, and we just haven't seen that, which is the natural progression of like, yeah, you know, you and I have uh, wives and bought houses and uh, thinning hair because the time comes for all of us. Right. And, you know, it's just like time comes for all running backs. And it feels like that is sort of what's happening. And this could be another adaptation is Alexander Madison was the third down back the other day. And I think he actually has better hands than Delvin Cook and might be a better pass blocker. Um, but I think Madison should work in more. And I think Kenny Wongwu should see if he exists on offense. I'm really surprised that we have not seen any kind of real adjustment in running back usage outside of Madison taking more of the third down work. And I wonder how much of that was them recognizing Madison's capability and saying, hey, we can actually put him into the game plan. Or, Dalvin, we don't need you uh, picking up blitzes with that shoulder. I really don't know how much of that, that is them just trying to basically take work off of Dalvin's plate, and that's what they decided to kind of lop off. But I thought coming into this year they were going to be a little more like progressive and saying, you know what, this is an aging Dalvin Cook. Um, let's try to you know maximize the tread that he has left on these tires by using a deep running back room, and they just haven't. We haven't seen much of that at all. It was Dalvin Cook 80% basically playing time, 80% of the touches basically out of the backfield, um, he had something like 82% of the, the plays he was in on before he separated his shoulder. And it was the 17th touch that he separated his shoulder on against Detroit third game. Like what? 
Like you guys went through the whole off season. You 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 knew this was coming. Like that's the part I didn't get. And I'm not saying that you can totally avoid it, but you could at least have it happen in November, like the past regime did. Yeah. Well, and I think that <laughs> right. I, and I think that. But this is sort of like the nature of the thing that Kevin O'Connell is taking on here with an entirely new team and. There isn't really any time for patience, but they escaped with three and one. If they were one and three, everything we just talked about, as opposed to being like, hmm, interesting, uh, would be like, oh my God, everyone's going down with the ship. Like it's so, it's so different. And not only that, maybe we wouldn't be that like uh, dramatic because it would be his first year. And we'd probably just be saying, told you so about the off season instead of we'll see where this goes. Um, But the three and one has bought them time. And if they beat Chicago, this is a huge swing game for me for the whole season. If you beat Chicago, you just have space to make these adjustments and to improve what you're doing and to decide when you get to that bye week on a large sample where you're not panicking to say, this is what works and this is what doesn't as you go into the harder part of the schedule. So that, so because things have gone their way, um, they've been one of the least penalized teams. Their opposition has been the most penalized in the league. Uh, the opposition has missed four field goals. Um, you know, even like their expected points added is 22nd uh, on defense against the run and the pass. And yet they're like 12th in points against. So what the expectation is, is that you should have given up way more points than you have uh, at this moment which means that this the offense cannot play like this on a week-to-week basis, which is why we're talking about these things, right? Which is like why we're talking about if K.J. Osborne is 86 out of 90 in yards per route run, like you're not going anywhere as an offense because the defense is probably not going to get the breaks that they have, and they won't get healthier. They will only get less healthy as you go along on defense. So, so that needs to happen, I think, or we're going to be talking about maybe some disappointments that you didn't see coming if they continue with this offense. I would be highly surprised if one of those disappointments came this Sunday against Chicago, seeing as how even though the Bears are 2-2, two and two, they have beaten the Niners in a rainstorm, and then they've also beaten the Texans on a late field goal. So it's not like they are creating a bunch of confidence with their current rebuild. They did the exact opposite of the Vikings, hiring one of the Vikings candidates for a general manager and Ryan Poles and tore down the entire roster, shipped out every notable defensive veteran, basically, except for Eddie Jackson at safety. They still have Roquan Smith, a middle linebacker. They've got Jalen Johnson, a really good corner, but there's not much else. And so, Matt, I ask you, is is Justin Fields good? Oh, no, no, I, I don't think he is. And, <laughs> okay. and you know what's frustrating sometimes is, and I know, like supporting casts are a big deal. You can take an average quarterback with a great run game, good offensive line, good receivers, and we've seen this with you know Case Keenum in the number one defense, and you can win a lot of games in a small sample. Here's a good example. Baker Mayfield's not good, but for one year, he was like almost good. And then as soon as that roster dipped a little bit, as soon as the supporting cast wasn't as good, he got a little banged up, and it was like, uh-oh. And the same thing happened for um, Carson Wentz. You got, you know, so you're there, some, some good times and so forth uh, in Philadelphia. But then he gets a little banged up. The team isn't as good anymore around him. And all of a sudden it, it falls off the edge of the cliff. So I fully believe in supporting casts in a season to season impacting a quarterback. But you cannot complete 50% of your passes in the national football league and be a good quarterback. I don't care if it's equanimous St. Brown or the receiver who puts stick on his hands in the replacements. <laughs> it's like you should be completing at least 60% of your passes. You should not be getting sacked this much. You know who he's profiling exactly like, including the excuses is Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen. There's a lot of similarities and even like it's hard to bring this guy up. Dwayne Haskins. Like there's some similarities of the same type of excuses of like, well, what if he just, and, and you see what they really needed was so, you know, Matt Nagy, of course, gets all the blame for that. And by the way, like, how's that guy feel today with Mitch Trubisky benched and Justin Fields completing 50%. So you're like, are these your Kings? Like these are the guys I lost my job for. Maybe I wasn't so insane. Right. But like, 
I think that um, Matt. Barry, we both heard things that it wasn't great over there in Chicago with Matt Nagy. So. I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. I, and I think that, well, and this is the, the thing. I think they've got the right process, that they're running more of the bootlegs and play actions and everything for him, and he's still getting sacked all the time. He's still missing the reads that are there, and he refuses to throw the football, which is exactly what Josh Rosen had as his biggest problem. We watched a Josh Rosen game. He got sacked a bunch of times. He just like, wouldn't throw the ball. And I think that uh, when that happens, it means the guy's not seeing what he's supposed to see, the reads. And it's happening too fast for him. And I'm not sure what the solution is. I, don't, I mean, yeah, maybe if you give him some better receivers. But like long term, by year two, this should be happening by now. Like When you think about Joe Burrow, did anyone have a worse supporting cast than Joe Burrow in his first year? And yet... He showed it like something is there. And look at Trevor Lawrence. Like we're seeing now Trevor Lawrence with with a better supporting cast and, and a competent coaching. We're seeing him at least look manageable and even good in moments. Whereas last year it was at least he was giving his guys chances. And, yeah, he made mistakes and threw a bunch of picks. But you were still seeing him fire the football in there and try to make plays. Fields looks know, scared at moments. He looks like he doesn't want to get that ball out and make the mistake where he's taken six sacks, I think, last week. Um, he has completed the fewest passes of any quarterback through the first four weeks in the last 40 years in the NFL. It was the 82 Patriots the last team to complete as few of passes as, uh, and I think it was a strike season, 82, right? Yeah. So anyway, it's just such it's no matter what mark you stack the bears up to right now, their offense is so putrid and their running game. They've at least gotten something going with Montgomery, who's now out and injured and with Herbert stepping in, but that's all they can do, and it's just going to be so easy to stop. So you talk about the issues on the Vikings and, and what's creeping underneath a 3-1 and one start. I can't see them getting upset in this game just because of how bad the Bears are. It's hard to even make an argument for it, which is scary, right? Because yeah, right, because that's when, when it happens. When you say that, I remember <laughs> the lead-up to the game against the Bills in 2018, and the Bills had come off the most horrific games and Josh Allen was starting, and he like didn't know how to play quarterback yet and everything. Uh, and or they, so we thought. Then he, yeah. he's leaping over Anthony Barr. Yeah, I know. He had a great game that yeah. day. That was, <laughs> but that was, And that was funny because that's exactly what I'm talking about with Fields is with Josh Allen, who everyone's going to compare to forever for like, you need to give quarterbacks more time, young quarterbacks. But you saw it. You saw the high-end moments all the time with him in his first year. It was just like, oh, that throw went into the stands because he doesn't know how to control the cannon yet. But as soon as he did, then everything started to take off. And it did help that the team was built around him and everything else. But you could see it early on. He played a season that was relatively shaky, like way up and down. And they made the playoffs and came this close to beating a good Houston team at the time in the playoffs with... Oh, Allen still being as raw as he was. So I think you can see, and you mentioned about Lawrence. It's like there were signs there with Lawrence, but their, their coach was that bad, like all time bad. I think 50 times worse than Matt Nagy. Um, but you could still see it. You'd watch Trevor Lawrence and be like, Ooh, that was pretty good. And, and his time to throw was like two and a half seconds. It was where it was supposed to be. It was just that his receivers weren't getting open. I mean, there were lots of people who did articles looking at his film that said, if they just draw this up a little better, this play should be here, right? As opposed to Fields, who is not throwing the ball. Yeah, and, and that's that's got to be the concerning thing for Ryan Poles in Chicago. We're trying to figure out what they have at quarterback, even though they're not giving the kid a lot around him. It just doesn't seem it's going to be very encouraging for Chicago. So that is going to be our preview of Sunday's game. Matt, I want to get to some quarterway through the NFL season, some superlatives for the Minnesota Vikings and the NFL in general. What is your biggest surprise in Minnesota, on the Minnesota Vikings through a 3-1 and one start? You think of all four games, something you did not see coming, because I will be asking you, what you absolutely saw coming. Oh, yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the second part is a lot easier than the, the surprise. Has anything surprised us? Because we knew, thanks to Matt Daniels, the special teams coordinator, we knew Greg Joseph was the best kicker on planet Earth. We knew that. He had been talking I, him up. I was actually going to say the special teams has been a surprise because yeah, it's all been over, really yeah. good. It's been really good. And some innovation actually happening on the, on the special teams. And I think Matt Daniels deserves all the credit he's getting. Like, I don't, I don't think it's like – Oh, this guy is like funny in press conferences, so we like him. I mean, the numbers are there. They are second best in the NFL, an average start for the other team, and they picked the right punter despite having a veteran in the 
and everything else. So I think that that has actually surprised me a little bit. Probably what we mentioned about not having, it's like the things that aren't there have probably surprised me more than the things that are like not using multiple running backs. Um, some of the moves they made before the season that haven't really paid off Jalen Rager moving on from Armand Watts. They can't pressure the quarterback, uh, very much outside of two guys. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe this one, I think in camp, I was still concerned about Cam Dantzler, but I think he's played pretty well so far. Not perfect. No corner is it just going to be Jalen Ramsey or something. But that last game against New Orleans, he was legit. He played a great game. Uh, and I think that he's sort of showing, like, yeah, I know you guys drafted Andrew Booth Jr. to play instead of me, potentially, but I deserve this job. Oh, I'll give you one. I was a little concerned about Patrick Peterson. And he's just been great. I mean, so far, a 45% completion percentage and throws against him. And I think this defense really works for him to be able to play off coverage and read and react as opposed to like right up on the line of scrimmage. So I think it's it surprised me a little bit that he still has a lot left in the tank. And that's turned out to be like a good deal for them. Yeah, this coverage and, and secondary approach could be good for him too because as you age, right, you're more susceptible to speed, getting beat deep. But if this is a predominantly deep um, deep safety defense, at least he won't get beat deep. Theoretically, my biggest surprise is that Garrett Bradbury, as we mentioned, is not getting just tossed. Mm, yeah, he's yeah. not. I, I'm surprised. And I'm not saying he's uh, going to make a pro bowl or anything, but you know, the guy's been serviceable. And I think part of it is what they're doing with him uh, in the offense. You know, you are seeing some things where when they need a third down late, they're not just going to sit back and put Kirk you know, on a, on a target, they're going to have him do a moving pocket, scrambling pocket. And he finds KJ Osborne on the sideline. Like they're adjusting things a little bit for that offensive line. Um, some of which we've seen obviously in the past, but when thing, when people are getting beat quickly up front, it's been, unfortunately for the Vikings, typically Ezra Cleveland or Ed Ingram. It hasn't been Garrett Bradbury, which I'm surprised by, which kind of makes you wonder, like, are the opposing teams maybe game planning to target those two guys? Cause one is a rookie, which you're always going to go after yeah. a rookie lineman. And then they've got to know by now that the left guard is weak as well. I also think that playing out of the shotgun helps because if you're Bradbury and you're in the shotgun way more than they were in the past and you know, take the snap, the initial punch knocks you back four yards or something. Well, you're not really in the quarterback's lap at that point. If it's under center and it takes the snap yeah, and you get knocked true. back four yards, <laughs> then you're tackling the, the quarterback, uh, which we did see a, on a number of occasions. It also could be this, that Garrett Bradbury, and it's a long season, so there's a long way to go. We have seen four-game sections of him play well before. But he had to have looked at last year as a crossroads. Like, I got benched for Mason Cole. If I keep playing like this, I won't be a starter in this league. I won't get a second contract from anyone that's significant and there's a lot on the line. Um, so it's possible that he went into the offseason and really put in some more focus. But I think it's probably more circumstantial and small sample size than anything. And that's something to watch. And, 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 maybe, and maybe it is right. Because I think that systems do impact all of these things. And, and it's one of the hardest things to figure out when we look at PFF grades. And we go, well, Eric Kendricks is terrible in coverage this year in his PFF grade. Did he just get terrible or are teams just targeting the middle of the field all the time? Because that's where you're leaving everything open. So you're always trying to contextualize those things. And maybe he's not that different. It's just that they're playing different. I think he's been a little bit better. I do I do think he has been. I don't think I've seen him get kind of worked by bigger nose tackles as often. He seems to be holding up at least a little bit, setting that somewhat of an anchor, getting beat slowly, not quickly, all those kinds of things. All right, Matt, what did you absolutely see coming? I mean, how long do you have? <laughs> I, I mean, uh, okay, well, there's – I mean, really, um, three and one actually is one thing that I saw coming. I, I, I picked them to start the season this way, and I thought that you know they had a favorable start to the season to play the Packers in the first week. Did not think they'd be Philadelphia, but these last two games are against mediocre teams, and my thought was they should take advantage, right? Like, New Orleans doesn't have a good quarterback situation. Detroit still has no one playing defense. Like, yeah, these are games that they should win. So three and one, I've this is the first time I think I've ever picked four games in a row correctly. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that would happen. The biggest thing is probably that there would be this huge adjustment period because when we watched for the offense, I mean, because when we watched training camp, there were a lot of days with a lot of unhappy people on sidelines 
having long conversations, looking around at each other, talking about how are we going to do this? What route were you supposed to run there? Um, the practice that we covered at the very end, right before the season started. And they, you know, the last one that was open to us where Kirk threw like three picks and could have thrown five. It's like, oh, okay, there's going to be some, there's going to be some tough moments for this offense. And that has absolutely been the case for them so far. Uh, I did not expect them to be able to rush opposing quarterbacks and they have not. Like, I mean, the, the interior rush just is non-existent, and they're not going to blitz all the time. So it's really reliant on the corners knowing where their help is, everybody being in this in the right spots all the time, and not giving up explosive plays. But at this moment, they're giving up eight yards per pass attempt. And if that continues, uh, that's just going to be a major problem. So I think that the defense not being like, oh, they're gonna, it's going to be a throwback to 2017 or something. Like, no, 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 no. It's, it was always, if this thing could be average, then you've, you've won something. I, I uh, was curious about this. I looked it up on PFF in terms of Harrison Smith's like pre-snap alignment compared to years past, and it's only three games for him, obviously. But he has averaged throughout his career under Mike Zimmer um, 30 snaps in the box or up at the line of scrimmage. And this year, through three games, it's 10 snaps per game. Um, he's not involved in the run defense. He has one run stop where he averages like 15 a year, basically in his career. Um, he he's, and then he's basically relegated to playing deep, deep safety as we know when, when this, with these coverage schemes. So when you take away one of your better, I don't know, in the box tacklers or run stoppers, uh, one of your weapons, hybrid weapons that you can move up and down. I think that affects things too up front and it just leaves that front six. And then your sevens Chandon and Sullivan sometimes, to to play the run and even in the the running moments it hasn't been great sometimes so you do have to wonder about like they invested so much in safety this offseason i mean they paid harrison smith to keep him here as opposed to trading him and then they spend a first round pick there and it's really unfortunate what happened with lewis scene but so set that aside but he like wasn't starting uh josh metellus goes in and plays fine to my eye, Cam Bynum has been fine. That one big play that looked like he gave up, that was actually a miscommunication with Dantzler. I mean, like if you're just going to play them deep over the top, you could sign Trey Boston or something for $3 million and bring back Anthony Harris. It's, it's sort of confusing to me, and maybe that's simplifying it too much, but it's a non-premium position for a reason a lot of times. And I think Harrison Smith is still a great player, but I don't know if he's having the opportunities to make the splash plays that he is in, in the past. You calling uh, safety not a premium position makes me remember the time that uh, Mike Zimmer, when asked if they were going to franchise tag, Anthony Harris said safety is really not a position that we would pay that much money for. And then Rick Spielman turned around and tagged Anthony Harris. So Were those far, two not on the same page? As far as front office alignment, not really. Uh, all right, blank is the best team in the NFC. Yeah, that one's easy. I mean, it's the the Eagles kind of by a lot. Um, by a lot, really. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, who, who's number two? Who is number two? Is a good question. Is it like San Francisco? As Jimmy G gets more comfortable now, San Francisco as a ball club is a great team. Sure. It's the quarterback is always the question, but that quarterback has done just enough to win a lot of times. I think I would say San Francisco because when you just go. Now Trent Williams being out's a big problem for them, but Tampa's I mean, still. I mean, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Decent. I wouldn't count them out. Like they lost to Kansas City, they lost to Green Bay. Like those are those are other good teams too. Um, until Green Bay starts passing the ball better, uh, I would say as far as again ball club, like Dallas is probably way better than people thought they were going to be. And if and and Cooper Rush has given them this opportunity to wait for Dak Prescott as opposed to like Wilson came back too early last year and that was a big problem for them. But I would, yeah, I'd probably say it's Philadelphia, San Francisco, Dallas. I actually like Tampa Bay the way that they played. I think they just got Mahomes the other night, but yeah, Brady exactly. looked like yeah. he had some juice on the fastball uh, the other night for the first time, maybe this season, cause he hasn't been practicing <laughs> um, and his receivers have been out and so forth. After that, I mean, it's just a mud puddle. I mean, it's just so like every think about this, like the first 15 minutes of us talking about that offense, how many podcasts in other NFL cities <laughs> of teams that are three and one, two and two are like, man, we got some problems like Arizona, yeah. New York Giants. Yeah. Like these teams have decent records, but really like Chicago. I mean, they're two yeah. and two, but the Falcons are two and two and they're running 14 times in a row. It's like, I think there's a lot of that in the NFC. And over the next like few weeks, that's where I think we'll start to see 
the separation. Yeah, Chicago finished three and fourteen, and I would not be surprised one bit. Not surprised if, at all if no. they get one win the rest of the season because of how bad they are. I, I would have to agree with you there. I, I I would rank Tampa Bay, I think, a little higher. I think they're a little bit better than Dallas, and I might even put them ahead of San Francisco at this point just because of the quarterback. I just think. Jimmy Garoppolo, you see him make some of these throws where even the one to Debo on Monday night was, I think Troy, was a Troy Aikman did a good job of illustrating like that's a bad throw, but because it was a bad throw, you know, it ends up being one that you can make because the defensive back jumped the route and if it had been a good throw, he would have intercepted it. But because it was a bad throw, Debo was able to get it and keep going. It's like, okay, well, that's not going to continue. Like your bad throws are going to get picked off. It kind of has though. Like well, that's been San Francisco with Jimmy G. Like it, it looked to me the other night like he's, getting a little more comfortable after not having much of a camp. And there's just, I thought Aikman put it perfectly with Jimmy G where he was like, there's just some times where you were like WTF James, what are you doing? And I think that those moments really stand out. And I think they heard his numbers, the traditional numbers, cause there's bad interceptions and stuff, but on the whole, he seems he who understands an offense better in this world than Jimmy Garoppolo understands Kyle Shanahan's. And if, you can get the ball to the playmakers like they're just good and their defense is absolutely phenomenal and where maybe in some years past I would have said like ah defense I don't know like well you know week to week league or whatever uh but with so few great quarterbacks the teams with the good defenses might just rise to the top and theirs is really good yeah they've they've got I mean their pass rush and Fred Warner the way he's playing that's a really good defense and I think them adding Traverius Ward from Kansas City has been really good too for them on the outside because that was always their weakness was corner so um yeah you're right maybe maybe they'll do enough um all right one more question for you um blank is uh the the key player for the Vikings down the stretch here not named Kirk Cousins. Let's take Kirk Cousins out of it. When 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 they go 13 games here the rest of the season, who needs to play well for them after what you've seen through the first quarter of the year for them to, to uh, I don't know, succeed, I guess, in your eye? I mean, Ryan Wright is averaging 13 yards a pass. <laughs> if they get, I mean, think about that. Like, uh, not even Kurt Warner, greatest show on turf, averaged 13 yards a pass. His passer rating of 118 point something. I can't remember. But he had – Ryan Wright said to put his phone on do not disturb. You missed uh, you missed the great conference call with Ryan Wright uh, on Monday. The Vikings coming back from London made one player available on Zoom. It was the punter. And we got to ask him about such things as uh, – so, you're getting a lot of texts. Yeah, you're uh, <laughs> you're outing me for bailing on that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could admit, let's just, I wasn't going to write anything about it. Let's just we, say we that. Just got a so newspaper. Just we, thought, we have a newspaper you know, we have to fill. I'm, I'm very pleased that he made that throw because like, <laughs> you don't get to pass the ball many times as a punter. Make the most out of it. Not everyone can be Tom Tupa. Um, what was the question? So, oh, yeah. I mean, you know what? I think that it's it might be K.J. Osborne like because Justin Jefferson is just going to continue to be Justin Jefferson. We have felt at times like frustrated by him not getting the football. Like, man, what's going on? Why are they able to shut him down? And he has more yards through four games this year than last year. <laughs> like at the same point, like this, this offense will be the Justin Jefferson show. And uh, that goes back to the, when you look at it on tape, this used to be the digs thing too. You'd be like, Oh, I see him. I see him open throw the ball, but uh, it'll happen. And he's going to continue to have hundred yard games and everything else, but you can only make up. Think about this. Like Cooper cup made up about 38% of the Rams passing game last year. That still leaves 62%. And, and even if Justin Jefferson makes up 40% of the Vikings passing game, you still got a lot more that can't go to CJ Ham and Ben Ellison and Johnny Munt all the time. You just watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, it will. It, will. it can. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely can. Uh, and I think that there is reason to wonder about like Adam Thielen. Your your sample size is now pretty big of being a possession receiver and not pushing it down the field really at all. But KJ Osborne is youthful, spry. Uh, he's good with the football in his hands. He can get open and make plays. Can Cousins get him the ball and have a second option? beyond just Jefferson deep feeling short that's your like you need explosive plays out of that guy and I also think you know as far as adjustments go for Kevin O'Connell and I'm sure that he would tell me like no you're wrong I'm doing this but they can't all be for Jefferson they they just can't because everybody can't be a slot receiver 
KJ really needs to be a slot receiver. So it can't be the Cooper Cup role, which is not what's happening, by the way. He's not playing Cooper Cup's role. It can't be that because Osborne has to be the slot guy. But you could still use some of the same stuff that you use for Cooper Cup with KJ Osborne. Like, give lean into him a little bit more. I think that if they don't, and he ends this season with 28 catches for 215 yards, this offense is going to rank like 17th in the league. That's a good point. I, I think they need to get more out of Daniil Hunter somehow. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I think that's one where you've seen him. Zadarius has put up all the numbers that you expect, but even that New Orleans game, Daniil was just out of place sometimes, missing some tackles, um, really aggressive jumping in and on some cutbacks and backsides of blocks, and then he was getting beat outside. I'm just like, this looks weird. You, you're just not used to seeing him be out of position, seemingly, at times. And then against the pass, we just haven't seen the production come through quite yet. So – I think he's pretty important because if you get both those guys going at what they're capable of, as we know, um, that the defense then wouldn't have to worry so much about playing 10 yards off. There's just so much pressure on Hunter and Smith to do everything. Yeah. Uh, but also this week, over under two and a half sacks. For <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, mean, this is the coming out part. Uh, yeah, I mean, DJ Wanham is like <laughs> preparing what kind of Ferrari he wants to buy based on the fact that he'll get four cleanup sacks. Like, ah, uh, this is going to get me that next contract. Thanks, you, Justin. All right, Blank is your favorite Bears quarterback of all time. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. There's so many. Um, Caleb Haney. I mean, there's the most, yeah, you could say like most random Rex Grossman, you know, Josh McCown or whatever, his insane run with Chicago that got him a big deal in Tampa. And then he went like one in 12. Do you remember when Bears fans are cheering for Kyle Orton? Oh, of course. Oh, they really of course. Kyle went through Orton. that in Buffalo as well, um, <laughs> where they had like a time with Kyle Orton and then realized he was Kyle Orton. I remember uh, RIP to the great John Clayton that he used to come on my old radio station when I worked in Buffalo. And I remember him saying like, yeah, Kyle Orton's just like a backup or whatever. And people lost. It. <laughs> they were just like, what? He's five and three as a starter or whatever. And you're How like, my you gosh, people, you have just been in the desert uh, drinking sand for all these years since Jim Kelly. But, the, you know, they're good now. Um, I think that like Eric Kramer was kind of like a warrior for them. Like he just was super tough and he would have some, he would have some games. Like he was a legitimate quarterback. I, I also think that he's just such a great random name pull to just be like, Oh yeah, they're playing the bears. It's Eric Kramer starting or <laughs> Jim Miller. Or how about this? Uh, this is a great one. The great Chad Hutchinson once beat the Minnesota Vikings in soldier field. And I think it might be his only career win or maybe like one out of two. And had a great game against them because any quarterback is possible. Like KG said, like any, any quarterback is possible in soldier field. That was what he said. Well, this one's at us bank stadium. So we'll have to maybe wait until the soldier field game for Kevin O'Connell to officially be anointed Vikings head coach. Cause it needs to be a weird bears game. Matt Barkley, baby for him to get in there. Yeah. Who's the backup for the bears? Is it Matt Barkley? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I haven't even looked. Who who is the backup? How do I not know this? Now I need to look this up because it's uh, destined for the Vikings to be in I know. a game. How do I not know this? Where but the Bears I honestly backup? don't because I thought it was Nick Foles, but of course he's in uh, Indianapolis. Wasn't um, wasn't uh, Chase Daniels' last uh, he's appearance? In, uh, Los Angeles. No, I know, but his last well, oh, appearance yes. was against the Vikings in a win in a, in a W. Sure uh, was another weird. It um, sure was. This is great podcasting. We're just going to have to. I, I was uh, after that fields. game. Trevor Simeon. How about that? Our guy, oh, that's right. Because yeah. he had like some moments. Trevor in... Simeon. Okay. Hot take here, though. Hot take. Trevor Simeon's better than Justin Fields. Whoa. He's not more talented, but he's better. If, Whoa. If both of them. Northwestern's Trevor Simeon. If both at this moment in time, if you had to ask both of those guys to be dropped into a Super Bowl caliber team, which one could get you there? The answer is Trevor Simeon, and it's not Justin Fields. Because he would just keep getting sacked and not throw the ball. So are they going to get Cooper rushed by Trevor Simeon? Well, no, we know Trevor Simeon. He's a known quantity at this point, not Cooper Rush. But if Trevor Simeon comes in, you're saying it could happen. I would say watch out. Watch out for Trevor Simeon. No, they should win this. They should win it like 28 to 10. Come on. You heard it here on the Access Vikings podcast. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com, and please follow Matthew Collar at PurpleInsider.com. You do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less.